please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the way that you submitted to becoming human, to taking on our flesh, our vulnerability, even becoming a child, utterly dependent upon the care of his family, the provision of his father. Lord, I pray that this morning we would see you, that we would see you as you chose to present yourself to us and that we would be changed to be more like you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Uh, today begins the season of Epiphany, and Epiphany means manifestation. It means sort of like, re- it's like re- revealing. It's a similar word to that. So it's the manifestation of God. And um, what's great about this year in particular is that we actually are celebrating um, our first Sunday of Epiphany on January 6th, which is in fact the calendar date of Epiphany. And I know that many of you uh, probably aren't aware of that, but Epiphany starts with the coming of the wise men to, um, to Jesus. He's probably two or three years old by this time, to his home where Mary and Joseph are caring for him. And... Um, it's the first revelation of God, in, in a way, to those outside of Israel, if you will. I mean, you have, before that, you've got, of course, Mary and Joseph, and I guess you could say Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're kind of in on it, and the shepherds in the fields and the angels are in on it at this point, but now we have these wise men, these magi, and they're seeing God, and they're realizing that God has come at some level. I don't think that they fully understood it. I think that they understood that Jesus was, in some way, the Messiah of the chosen people, um, but that he's their king as well. He's the king. And, uh, and so it's an incredible gift for us that Matthew chooses to present to us. And it's interesting that it's Matthew in particular that shares this story. And the reason is that Matthew was a tax collector, I think some of you would remember. Yeah, see, he was really involved in the kingdom of the world, the way it was playing itself out at that time, which was headed up by Rome. And in Jerusalem, it's one of its main um, exponents and leaders, if you will, is King Herod. And King Herod is, by many accounts, considered king of the Jews. I mean, he's actually an Edomite, but at this point, His family, having converted to Judaism probably several generations ago, is considered king of the Jews. And and Matthew has been participating in that kingdom until, of course, he becomes a disciple and realizes uh, there's more to the kingdom of God than what I thought. And in fact, there's things about the kingdom of God as I was participating in it as a tax collector that were way off. It's interesting to me, too, that the word epiphany, one of the first times that you realize um, in the history of sort of the Jewish and Christian tradition is this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of the emperors of of Rome and one of the leaders of Rome, and he's actually notorious because he, he was constantly doing things, showing off, if you will, the glory of God and trying to claim that for himself. And, uh, not only was he doing it, I think we have sort of an analog today with the grandstanding of our way of leadership and the celebrity style of leadership that we have right now that sort of accrues all kinds of attention to itself and demonstrates its power and its force to others. 
And Antiochus Epiphanes is constantly showing off like that. And not only is he doing that, he actually desecrates the temple. And that's the kind of kingdom, in a way, it's a contrary kingdom to the kingdom of God that Matthew has now become co-opted into when he's a tax collector. He's participating in it at this point through Herod. And Herod's just as bad, in a way, as Antiochus Epiphanes. He doesn't necessarily desecrate the temple, but man, is he messed up in how he approaches kingdom. I mean, he is so operating out of fear and out of, of preemptive strikes of force that he kills any potential opposition. And he abuses his power all the time. And when it's under threat, he makes sure that he uh, reasserts his glory. He wants to show off his glory. And Jesus comes in and shows a much different kind of glory. And I think, I think Matthew would have us learn a whole lot from the Magi, these wise men from the East. Um, and I want to draw a few principles. If this is the season of God's revelation, the season of God's manifestation, of his presence, come into our midst. He's coming to us in a number of different ways that were true for the Magi and even more true for us now. He's still present to us right now. And he's manifesting himself to us right now. And we can take some lessons from how the Magi show us the kingdom and even how their behavior and attitude towards it can help us come into it too. The first thing is that God is manifest and present to us in creation. Okay? God's manifest to us. He's present to us in creation. And I think you see this with the Magi. That is just a word meaning wise men, if you will. That's one of the ways that we often translate it. And these were men who were in the kingdom of Persia where um, many of the Israelites had been exiled. If you think of it, Daniel, for instance, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that kingdom. And it was a kingdom where these wise men um, and these magicians sort of held a lot of influence in the upper echelons of that kingdom directly with... Um, you know, their emperor of the time, which was Nebuchadnezzar. And um, so these wise men are part of that tradition a few generations later that Daniel had been involved with. But they're people who pay attention. There's something about them that they're paying enough attention to whatever it is that they've, they've learned because Daniel was somehow engaged in their world in Babylon in what became Persia. They learned something there, enough so that when a star appeared in the east, they recognized that something's going to happen and a king of Judah is going to appear. And it's a king of kings. And it was something that caught their attention. At some level, they knew better than we do now that God was present in creation. Like we sang of it this morning in one of our opening songs. I don't know how much you think about this kind of thing, but a lot of times I don't, I don't think in terms of God's really being present, like his glory and his splendor being present in creation. The poets get it, right? But I often don't. I'm so secular in my way of thinking. I don't, I don't often really get that. 
like there's streaks of glory that shine in creation. It's supercharged with God's presence. Before he even made this sun that we see, by which we see right now, he infused creation with his presence. That was that first light before there was a light in the sky or a lesser light in the moon. It was his presence. At your name, the morning breaks in glory. At your name, creation sings your story. The heavens are telling. Saw that a little bit in the stories of the nativity, didn't we? And it's true, it's still true. And back then, the ancients understood when there were things that were happening in the heavenlies and in creation around them, they paid attention. And a star did appear. And so, Lord was present to them in creation and they paid attention. They were humble enough to follow it, by the way. I think one of the reasons we can't see in creation is because our eyes aren't open. I'm praying that our eyes become open. God is present even in creation. May our eyes be open to perceive it, the eyes of our heart to perceive that light. And somehow they were humble enough to perceive it. I think some of, some of our greatest scientists do. Like at some point in Einstein's life, for instance, he was so taken up with the wonder of creation, he encountered God. And that is a beautiful thing. And in Romans 1.20, it says that really nobody, none of the nations have any excuse for not realizing God because he's speaking to us in creation. And so this is a huge part of it. God's present to us in creation. And so let us be humble enough to follow that revelation where it leads. And that's what the Magi did. I want to say something else. It's plural, isn't it? It's Magi plural. Uh, three of them, according to tradition, Shadrach, I mean, sorry, Casper, Melchior, and um, Balthazar, right? And I love those threes, but um, he, um, th there's three of them. I think that's really significant because a lot of times, one of the reasons we can't pick up on God revealing himself and being present to us is because we're not hanging out with a company of people who actually know that he's trying to reach us who actually also are committed to perceiving him and receiving him and getting to know him. And the Magi, in some way, they, they are, they're comrades in saying, yeah, Lord's present, and I want to work with you. Help me to know him. Help me to engage with him. And so one of the reasons we're starting off with engage groups in just a couple weeks, or calling them engage groups, is because we realize that we can't really encounter the presence of God and engage with him unless we have help with others who are also on that same journey and desiring that same thing, right? So I just want to notice that. That permeates everything else I'm going to say. So he's present in creation, but he's also present in scripture. I've already alluded to that just a little bit, but you see it also picked up again in um, when they go to Jerusalem, they, they seek out the scribes. They seek out those who are wise in the, in the Jewish scriptures, and um, the Lord is present to them in Scripture, in the words of the prophets. And so they engage with him there. And they pay attention to that. And it shapes their lives and their decisions for how they're going to move forward. And they let it do so. Um, I think that in some ways, we start to do what the Pharisees did. We, th we think that just by searching in the scriptures and getting it in terms of information and knowing it in terms of information, that that's enough. But what they do is they let it actually shape their lives and shape their actions in such a way that they move closer to God. 
they engage with scripture in such a way that they move closer to God and they do it together. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with that. I want to just encourage you again. The engage groups that we're starting, most of what we're doing is going to be engaging with God in Scripture who is present to us, especially in the power of his word. And if creation's charged with his presence, the revelation of God that is recorded in Scripture is supercharged with his presence. We just don't know how to receive it. May our hearts be open to that. And so they are shaped by that. And so they go forward on their journey, and um, the ultimate, most beautiful way that God is present to us and manifests to us is in Jesus. He is the Messiah, the King, but he, we know, is God become flesh and dwelling among us. And they see that star in the sky, and their wonder that has moved them to draw near to where he would be and to seek him in greater and greater encounters, it, that star stops over Bethlehem. And they're overjoyed. They're full of joy. And joy is a, a sign of encountering the Lord's presence. I mean, that's what Gabriel and Mary are reporting to us. Greetings, Mary. Full of joy or grace, the Lord's with you. And when you are with God and when you encounter him, you're filled with joy. It's a sign of his presence. They're filled with joy. Um, I want to just notice, too, that they don't continue in their journey. Like, one of the things that we can, can happen for us, we get so caught up in a journey to get closer to Jesus that when we actually finally encounter him, like, oh, that's kind of great and cool. And then we continue journeying. And I remember this song, um, I think it was, um, was it you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And there's this kind of like continuous like longing and looking. And, and longing is part of life to be sure. But longing that isn't in the presence of Jesus who has come is no longer a godly way of longing. I mean, if, if you have now encountered Jesus and Jesus has revealed God in our midst, don't keep wandering around. <laughs> Don't keep wondering. It's time now to see him and engage with him. And don't continue to search and scour other scriptures and other revelations. Get to know him as every story was ever told about him in the Bible. Get to know him in, in every way that you possibly can. And stop and take joy as these wise men actually did. So they see him, and they encounter him, and they're overwhelmed with joy, and then they, they come into his presence, and they see him, the child, with his family. And real wisdom is really showing himself or herself at this point in them because they worship him. Real wisdom ultimately ends in the worship of Jesus. They bow down before him, and they give him the precious things of life, they realize that he's king, they give him gold, they realize that he's divine in some level, they give him frankincense, they realize that he's mortal and has the capacity to suffer and will even need the, the healing presence of the Father's favor and the Spirit with him. And so they give him myrrh and we need all of these things and they give him everything. And that's true wisdom. These really are wise men 
because they encounter Jesus, they engage with him, and then they worship him, even though they don't fully know him. They do it in a home, by the way. I, I can't help but see that throughout Matthew's story, he continues to counter the power plays of the world with the very humble ways of the child and the home and the domestic and the down-to-earth. He does it again and again. He, he records Jesus saying, what's the kingdom of, like? uh, kingdom of God like? It's like a child. Don't get in the way of that. It's like a child. And it's like humility. And it's like taking up your cross. You oppose the ways of the world, not by raising your fist, but by being humble and by being merciful. And it's more like being a child and it's more like being a home. And that's why we bless homes during the season of Epiphany. That's why I'm so delighted to be doing a baptism of little James this morning. Because it's in these places where humility, a real sign of the presence of God, if you want to know what God's like, it's like being humble like a child. That's what he's like. Read Philippians 2. He humbled himself to become a human, a babe, a servant, even suffering to death. And all of that is a manifestation of his mercy for us through humility and weakness and meekness. And he's a frail, vulnerable child. And that's the kingdom, the real kingdom of God. And it's so different from the world. It's so different from our grandstanding ways. So different from our, our news feed. <laughs> so different from the things I post, which in, even in my own posting at times, it's kind of like, look at me stuff, you know? This is a different way. It's totally different. The beauty of the home and humility. And so a lot of times when we go into homes during Epiphany, we'll put CMB and then the, the number of the year, and it stands for Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar, but it also stands for, uh, in Latin, you know, God bless this home. Because here's where God is most manifest in many ways. It's in the family. It's in the fellowship of the family. It's in the place where we live in humility. And then lastly, the Spirit, the presence of God is manifest in the Spirit. We've looked at how he's present to us in creation, present to us in the scriptures, most present to us, the ultimate revelation in Jesus. But he's also present to us in the Spirit. And you see that near the end where in a dream, they're told not to return to Herod. The wisdom of the Lord speaks to them in a special revelation, a special falling upon them in the midst of their dreams. And they pay attention to those dreams. Perhaps they were schooled enough in the way of Daniel who was able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams back in the days of early Babylon history. But they understand that God sometimes speak in, speaks in dreams and they together can discern that together and they can, in the light of who Jesus really is, do that right. And so... The Spirit speaks to them and tells them not to return to Herod. He will then also speak to Joseph in a dream as well. And the reason why this is so important is because when the kingdom of God becomes present to us and we start to enter into it, immediately you're launched into a battle. Life is really difficult and there are threats and Herod is still at work in this world and he wants to come after any manifestation of real kingdom mercy and life and vitality and you will feel it 
Especially like when you first turn to Jesus, for instance, if you remember, or when you're really renewed in Jesus and you start to realize who he is and you start to be permeated with his life and you start to shine with that glory, the enemy is gonna come after you. And you need to know in the spirit how not to fall into his hands. And the spirit will speak because he's present to you even now. He's present to us to preserve us to save us, to lead us not into temptation, but into security, into a real wall of salvation that the enemy can't penetrate. It's a place of eternal, unshakable safety when we listen to the Spirit. He's manifest to us in the Spirit. And so we engage with him in the Spirit as well. I think about... James and Abby and Matt this morning, and I'm just thinking, how can we raise a little one so that he knows God? God is present here. And as we baptize him, all of us will, in a a way, be asking the Lord to so manifest himself in their home through their fathering and their mothering, through their fellowship and their domestic humility that James will realize that God is present, that he is present to him in their love in very natural ways, that he's present to him in the scriptures as they raise him in that. That he's present to him, especially in Jesus, into whom he's being baptized this morning, so that he will know him and enjoy him forever and also be preserved forever. I still need to be renewed in that way of the Lord's manifest presence. I still need to be renewed in the beauty of his spirit. I think you do too. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, you are loving us this morning by being in our midst. By your word and your spirit, we know that you are here walking even down the aisle and in and through and between us. I know that you're touching many hearts right now and speaking to many hearts that we would engage with you in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would take this year that we have now begun and so shoot through every moment of our experience your presence and your love of us and so awaken us from our sleep that we receive you, that we encounter you, that we worship you, that we walk with you. Lord, make us truly wise. Let us be children of this wisdom not the wisdom of the world that is forged in fear and power and anger, but in the wisdom of your love and your humility as you so beautifully revealed, first of all, in a home, in a babe. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.